arts are everywhere and in everything. And there's a fascinating, unique person and story behind each one. And that's what the Arthropologist is all about. Exploring the arts, one unique person and one unique story at a time. I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm the Arthropologist. It is my privilege to have Mark Davis and Carrie Simon from Ardent Flame Media Group on The Arthropologist today. We first met a number of years ago when I began doing storyboards for some of their commercials and short films. I remember when Ardent Flame was just starting out, and I've been so excited watching them grow over the years, and was delighted to work with them on their most recent film, Life is My Choice, and asked them when they got the chance to come on the program. So Mark and Carrie, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Oh, you're so We're delighted. Uh, first thing, let's start with Ardent Flame. That's a cool name. Tell me about that. Well, um, I guess I'll take this one. Yes, um, You know, Ardent is a, is a, uh, it's a word meaning a lot of passion. It, 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 and uh, flame is often a, an analog for passion as well. So um, one of the things that, in starting the company and then pursuing the projects that we wanted to pursue, it was, it was a a project of passion that started the the whole ball rolling, and um, and it it seemed to best exemplify uh, the driving factor behind our our company, our our brand, and and the projects that we do. Uh, we put a lot of passion into the projects. Um, we don't pick projects simply on financial viability. But also on the messages that they that they uh, convey, uh, yeah. convey. Mm-hmm. and so you know, the Art and Flame seemed to be a very uh, fitting title for the, the the passion we had for filmmaking and expressing stories through film. Right. Um, okay. Now this is a partnership, but there's a third person in Ardent Flame. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Um, well, let's get started with. How did you three get together? What what brought you guys together to do this? Well, I think, Bill, I'll take this one. I This is Carrie uh, speaking, and I was at a book signing for uh, my books, and a lady passed by in one of the times that I was speaking with her and said, you know, you really should make this book into a film. And Originally, I thought to myself, well, uh, it's hard enough being an author, you know, Uh, but I took what she said to heart and I was uh, planning on coming to visit family. And so at that time, uh, during the Thanksgiving holiday, we came together and began thinking, what would that look like if we took some portions of that book and decided to piece together a trailer, which we were able to do. And, and um, actually, it's a it, it's an actual it, it's an interesting, I guess, maybe circumstance. But um, we're actually on the eve of our uh, fifth anniversary Correct. Uh, today. Um, and uh, after the event that she's, she's that she was referencing, um, that Carrie was referencing, uh, we had our Thanksgiving holiday back in 2016. And it was a year after the passing of my father and, and her father. And, you know, it was kind of a somber um, Thanksgiving. It was the first Thanksgiving uh, without dad. So, uh, and he had died pretty much on Thanksgiving in 2015. So she expressed to me her desire to perhaps do a, a, a book trailer mm-hmm. to, to visualize what her book might look like in that that was bored out of the conversation she had at one of her book signings. And it was at that point in 2016 that, uh, you know, she expressed that to me and I said, Hey, you know, you can make pretty much, you can make a film with an iPhone. And so that's exactly what we, 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 uh, we proceeded to do. We, we left the, the, the eating and the gathering and we went out to a random field next to the house and we proceeded to immediately start shooting uh, the very first film work that we ever did on my iPhone. Um, we we did very quick storyboarding, scripting, etc. 
And uh, anyway, so that that turned into something later that evening and the next day when I when I watched it, she watched it. Yes, she said, you know, I think we're on to something. I, I agreed with her. And, um, and she said, well, I'll tell you what, let's let's do this even better. You know, I think the iPhone um, trailer was really, really cool, but I think we can do better. And let's put our heads together and, and come up with a plan. So the spring of the following year, we planned out a shoot, our very first uh, our very first attempt to make anything cinematic. And we got a, you know, a DSLR. Um, we got uh, a drone and scouted and a few locations. locations. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, so in the spring of 2017, uh, we actually made a book trailer. Uh, it's the first time I ever opened up Adobe <laughs> After Effects and Adobe Premiere. Um, it was a lot of firsts. And I guess we caught the bug then. And that's another uh, opportunity we had to, to meet with uh, John Busby. And Busby was uh, a musician at one of the churches locally there that I uh, went he was at Pine Lake. I, I became a musician at Pine Lake, and we, we connected there and then kept up our relationship afterwards. And he was also into film scoring. And so I said, hey, you know, we're going to be doing this this trailer. Would you like to help out making the music for it? He said, absolutely. And it was through that whole creative process, which was, like I said, it was a first for all of us um, to tell tell a story visually. Um, and I think from that point forward, we just we just caught the bug. Okay, so when I first met you, uh, Mark, you were still at, was it Nissan? Yes, that's correct. I was uh, one of the engineering managers at Nissan Motor Corporation in Canton, Mississippi. Okay, and so you were just at that point, is that when you were beginning to uh, build the company beyond just doing the trailer? Yes, that is, that is correct. Um, we, we were very fortunate. God blessed a lot of our activities um, the rest of that year, which was a lot of a lot of passion projects, a lot of commercial style projects through 2017 In 2018, we were fortunate to hook up with um, Chip Miss Kelly from Miss Kelly's Furniture. Uh, we did some, you know, independent work with one one or two of his foundations. Um, and that also put me in connection with the Mario Davis from the New Orleans Saints. So in the spring to summer of of 2018 we were doing work with the mario davis developing <clears throat> marketing content for some of the philanthropic work that he had going on so he's he's got his foundation the devoted dreamers foundation and uh demario had a, a very strong vision for uh, school for inner city kids um he had a passion for sports obviously and for helping groom young men that may have been overlooked by by uh, other schools or, or maybe were in a, in a position where they needed to have some some mature guidance in their lives. So uh, that, of course, coupled with his with his uh, encounter conference, which we did some marketing material for that. Um, and so we, we we were very fortunate to get those opportunities with the Mario. And that segued into some other work. And I believe, you know, one of the things that we were looking at working with uh, Chip Miss Kelly was on a was on a a company that he was working uh, towards developing a new branding style for uh, some mattresses. And that's one of the things that you came in and helped us with very early on in 2018. Right. Developing some storyboards for, I think, three or four commercials that we were trying to pitch to to chip and so they sleep. Right. Right. Okay. Well, this is actually fun for me because I remember, um, I don't remember exactly how, how we got together. It may have been, uh, you posted needing a storyboard artist and then my son, uh, who keeps Emil, yeah. yes, would have kept up with that and shot me your information. And then that's how we got together. And so I, I remembered that 
you know, our first meeting, and it was just so much fun, and uh, had just a delightful time doing the storyboarding, and I think we've done a couple other things since then, between the movies, this last movie, but um, of course, I wasn't privy to all of this uh, other information, so it's just been fascinating and wonderful to see um, the growth that your company has has made i will tell you the first time i saw one of your trailers that you did um i was learning uh, after effects at the same time you were learning after effects and yeah as most people know especially when you and i were doing it there weren't a whole lot of two of you couldn't just go get information, and if it wasn't for store uh, uh, message boards and tutorials on YouTube, we'd have been sunk. And absolutely, uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this is just an aside, but I'm, uh, again, for those who are thinking about ever doing something like After Effects, oh my gosh, it's like a mile and a half deep, and and a mile and a half wide. It's just an incredible program. And um, what you did, I was actually moving some special effects, but doing more animation type things. And you were doing more special effect background stuff. And um, yeah. it was fascinating seeing where you had gone. But again, that's just an aside. I just loved what you were doing. Um, and so... I, want, I wonder if that was freedom or... Uh, what, which trailer that was, because that would kind of indicate about that time frame when we were not only branching out in the commercial aspect, but also kind of coming back to our roots of film work as well. Uh, I don't remember. I just remember there was a lot of wonderful, smoky um, special Yes, effects. that would have been, that would have mm-hmm. been freedom. Yeah. Yes, um, yes. Beautiful stuff. And, and uh, you know, i I, I I would have to just you know sound off with with what you said previously about um, tutorials. One thing I found, and a lot of independent filmmakers that don't go the traditional route to mastering a craft, not just um, how to write a story or produce a story, but even down to the nuts and bolts of how do you edit a story? How do you how do you take pieces and put them together until a, a cohesive story? There are a lot of videos on youtube that are very helpful and then there's a lot of videos on youtube that are not helpful yes and i think the the problem that that i had starting off was i didn't know what i didn't know so i couldn't i couldn't you know digest the information in a way that helped me achieve what i needed to achieve so i had um i had a lot of a lot of sleepless nights um rummaging through youtube just to find the content that I needed to be able to execute what I had in my head. Um, and, and it, it is, it is difficult sometimes, not just that there's a lack of information, but sometimes there's just too much and it's not purposeful to your objective. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. I, I, I feel you on that. It just, just, I didn't, I didn't see any, any other way than being self-taught through, uh, random tutorials or explanations on YouTube. Right. Right. And, and and I think freedom was one of those things where it it brought us back to doing film work. We had looked at a um, local film festival and saw the deadline and made an attempt. I think, Mark, it was, what, three or four days of shooting. Um, we gave ourselves an almost impossible task to script and film and then of course the post-production on that and have it delivered to the film festival and uh it turned out amazing it was 48 hours yeah Yeah. you know those those um those competitions where you you take a concept and from concept to completion you've got roughly a couple of days to to deliver it um so it was it was aggressive wow right Um, and it it also bridged the gap of like sometimes learning that storytelling doesn't always require dialogue. I think that was another thing that opened up because if you, if you look at, at freedom, it was all visual. Right. 
and it gave us, I think on one of the places that we shot at, we didn't even realize until we got there that it had originally been a silent theater. Oh, really? We Yes. And we had just some amazing things. We went, in fact, we went to this theater because we had gotten other locations. We had everything in place. And then the last day of the shoot, they said, you know what? We just can't do it. So, of course, you know, that nightmare of scrambling to try to make sure you can get another site location. And we get over there and we begin shooting. And the lead actor goes to the back of the uh, the theater, comes back out. And in his hands, he is holding a sign and the sign says freedom on it. Oh, and wow. it was just one of those things where we went, okay, that's pretty wild. Um, and it ended up doing very well. Neat. So it, it was good. It was definitely good to get back into the filming, wouldn't you say, Mark? Just yes. uh, where our heart is. Okay. Um, I would like to, just for a few minutes, talk about the business side of excuse me the business side of ardent flame because a lot of people get started in something like this they're a sole proprietor that's what they do um what's it like teaming up you've got three different people with different skill sets um possibly you've got the same vision but maybe a different vision of how that vision should uh, be executed. So let's talk about what it's like partnering up. What are the challenges of being a partner, uh, especially with three partners? Mark, do you want to lead on that? Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll lead on that. Um, so you said it right, um, Bill. You know, each person kind of brings a piece of a puzzle, um, and that and the, the the talents and skills that each of us have complement each other. Yeah. I think finding finding where each person's lane is and giving them the creative space to sort of direct that that area. Uh, I'm not saying that works out 100% every time. Uh, I'd be lying to you if I if I said that, but for instance, um you know, when it came to the commercial side or it came to the film side, um Carrie was typically the person that spearheaded all film activity. For the company so any film short film book trailer narrative work uh, went through carrie and when it came to commercial work that went through me um and when it came to musical compositions and scoring that was something that was in busby's wheelhouse so we each had um we each had a a role to play early on in I guess the the business growth of Art and Flame. So obviously, film projects are fewer and far between than, say, for instance, commercial work. So there were times when I was doing commercial work, and then Carrie was beating the bushes trying to drum up the film work. Um, and it's it's it gives me a little bit of confidence knowing that um, if I were sole proprietor, that everything would rely on me to be able to go out, collect the business, deal with clients. Um, cast vision, uh, write the scripts. You know, just, just to be honest with you, I think there's there's a there's a, a strength in numbers. Maybe not too many, uh, you know, chiefs and not enough Indians, but I do think that having each person, um, you know, have control and or leadership in the areas that they're strongest in, and then giving them that that responsibility, but also that 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 uh, opportunity to be leader in those areas. So um, if I'll give you an example. Um, if we had someone that expressed an interest in doing a short film or a, a trailer, for instance, for their book or for a script to help pitch it, uh, they would be reaching out to Carrie and she would manage all of that. Uh, my responsibility would be more or less the tech and the background as the DP um, and uh when it came to post-production and sound, that's something that we would reach and reach out and lean on, on John Busby for. So, I mean, I think it worked out very, very well. And then conversely, if, if there was a commercial project, I was typically the one dealing with clients on the commercial end. 
uh, scheduling those shoots and, and handling them. And so I had my area of influence and and uh, leadership, Carrie and hers, so on and so forth. So um, I think there are some challenges, obviously, because from a creative standpoint, everybody that gets into film is a creative individual. Um, and so as creatives, you know, we, we tend to have a way we want to do things or a vision that we have for the project. And I'm not saying that we don't butt heads sometimes creatively, but at the end of the day, each person has has their area of expertise and responsibility. And we just trust that individual with the with the vision for that project. Yeah, I guess there's it's one of those things like, well, uh, when do you compromise and how do you compromise? And I guess it's a floating point. It uh, Sometimes one party's going to have to give way and sometimes the other party, because since it is a partnership, unless there's someone that's, oh, there used to be that joke, uh, uh, the Soviet Union that'd say, um, in the Soviet Union, everyone is equal, but some people are more equal than others. Um, Correct. You, I think you, that was Animal House, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, so, and I also, I was, I've been listening to a guy named Chris Voss, who um, is an author and a speaker, and he is has his own company that he has a number of, well, he's in partnership, and he said something to me that was just very fascinating. He said, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go as a team. And Correct. Yeah, boy, you're just so right because um, in the little animated short and thing, shorts and things that I've done, you know, when I'm just doing this stuff in the studio by myself, it's just overwhelming. If you're trying to do anything by yourself, there's just so many moving parts and you've really got to have people with different uh, sets of skills and expertise. And then just sometimes just the, the nitty gritty grunge work, paperwork and stuff. Sometimes it's just got to be delegated out or one person will get overwhelmed. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. And, and, um, you know, I, I think the, the, the phrase or, or, or line you're attributing to Chris Voss, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, there are a lot of things that you can do by the, by the seat of your pants if you have no accountability to anyone else. Um, but I think if everyone's got skin in the game and everybody truly wants to see the whole succeed, you have to be willing to, you have to be willing to accept the feedback. But I do believe what makes some business decisions more successful. I'm not saying it works every time, but I do believe that you have to acquiesce uh, influence and control to a person uh, with, with whom that responsibility lies. So I think um, I give an example. Uh, Carrie can tell you, I argue with her all the time creatively about shots as a DP saying, we can't do it this way. We got to do it this way as a director. It's her prerogative to shoot it the way she wants to shoot it. That same thing uh, from a business perspective works where um, if it's in a commercial vein, I'm going to be the one making the calls and I will take in consultation the, the feedback. But if it's a film project, and like I said, Carrie can tell you, you know, we, we've argued creatively before, um, when it comes to the film projects, whether I, I agree with every decision or not, it doesn't have to be 100% consensus um, because I have, I, as a business partner, but also as a fellow creative and someone that that understands the need to give that that uh, leadership role over in specific situations, there has to be someone that calls the shots, and and you can't have you can't have a stalemate. There has to be a tiebreaker, which was also a reason why there's three members and not an even number. But but in each area of influence, each each person has the final say in their area of expertise, and that doesn't mean that they can be flippant with a decision. And I don't think we are, but I, I do believe that with each business decision, we pretty much know based on the swim lanes for each person who has the say in that. So if I disagree on a film project, I'll, I'll voice my concerns and we'll work through some of the things that, that uh, concern me. But at the end of the day, when we're shooting a film, that's Carrie's call. And, and, we just set that on the front end and say, okay, well, film is carried. That's, 
and, I, and I'm not saying that I don't have input. I'm just saying when it comes to the decision making. And I think that helps that helps keep the frustration down. Right. If there is if, if there is conflict and there always is some level of conflict, but knowing that, OK, well, I can be upset about it. But at the end of the day, my role here is to support Carrie and making sure that we as a company and this project and the story that it represents moves forward to the best that it can. Right. And I I would have to say that um, there is so much respect for each person in this company um, and the talent that they bring. Um, it is truly appreciated and understood. So even in discussions where um, I might say, hey, I like it this way, and Mark is going, no, uh, this is not going to, you know, this isn't going to work in this, and I'm, I'm behind the camera right now telling you. And, and so, of course, we're, we're having kind of those issues. We still kind of have um, a refreshing respect and, and kind of roundtable approach to go, well, you know what, let, let me see what it looks like that way. And and we'll we may have another take and we may shoot it a different way and go, you know what, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Let's roll with that one. So we're all very open. Um, nobody's bringing egos to the table, just vision. And that is, is such a wonderful thing that you can do um, business with someone like that. It, it is very complimentary in the company. And we care about one another and we care about. Um, the products, the projects, whatever it is, um, we're always about doing our very best. Um, how has the pandemic affected your production company? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, so as it relates to the commercial work, I think initially the, the uncertainty of how to wrap like how industries and individuals and companies and businesses as they as they grappled with trying to understand what was happening uh, in the world and 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 not just in the world but in, in the local communities and some conflicting information and then do we wear masks do we not wear masks do we keep them on do we triple masks you know i think some of that did influence companies that were looking to launch campaigns um, and then they stepped back away from those campaigns and said, look, we, we got to see what's going on um, with the bigger picture. So, yes, I would say that a lot of our commercial work was directly impacted. We did work with with um, a couple of organizations that that kind of pivoted from marketing to going virtual. And so we picked up some business in the virtual production space lost some business in the in the um in the marketing side i will say that the that initially it did hurt us in the film side um when we were not able to have you know larger crews or, or even crews at all and uh, i think louisiana shut down and we had to postpone a few of our projects because of it now fortunately as as the pandemic um, subsided to, to a, a you know a, a stable level. There was a little bit more understanding and information, accurate information coming out about uh, the efficacy of countermeasures, etc. And and then as the as the industry, the the film and commercial industry developed new safety protocols uh, for keeping everyone safe. I think as those you know limitations were relieved, we were able to get back to work. But I don't think I don't think we were in 2020, at least we were able to get back to where we anticipated being. So, you know, we did take a, a fairly large step back. Right. Um, and in fact, there were further mandates in Louisiana where we had certain projects that were scheduled to be filmed that may or may not have had the same impact on other states. You know, I think Mississippi was a little less, but Louisiana, the numbers had kept rising. And so those mandates, um, you know, kind of stuck around for a little bit longer than we anticipated. And that did have effects on those projects that we had scheduled. Well, so now we've picked up since the uh, since the pandemic, things are getting scheduled and 
And obviously, we have just finished up a project with you, which we were so grateful to have you on board for. I was so delighted. I mean, I, I loved working on it. This is something that's been in my prayer life for a long time and on my heart. And so it was just such a blessing when Mark called me and said, I got a project I want you to storyboard. So I'm just going to be quiet and I want you guys to talk about it and we'll go from there. Okay. So Mark and I would say John Busby had spoken to a lady who provided um, a story about how she had been working at an abortion clinic and, of course, since that time had quit, given her life to God, but had indicated to us about the processes and procedures of Planned Parenthood in that they would intentionally turn the heartbeat off, amongst other things, because they knew that the percentage was very high for women if they heard the heartbeat or they had an ultrasound, that they would change their minds and keep their children. Now, originally, we had discussed doing this more of a documentary. However, she just did not feel comfortable in doing that. So we began to re-script things and open it up to the idea of having someone else cast in that role. But to still, uh, we felt that the story was very compelling. We felt like women needed to know what was going on. We felt like the world needed to know what was going on. And so we all came together uh, and scripted that and began to plan for that to be filmed. Awesome. So this is uh, the story is based on reality. It's based on true, true. Story. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. It is based on a true story. And when we began the process of casting, I had had a dream about um, a, a girl's face. Quite frankly, we, we came into all kinds of uh, things trying to get this scheduled and casting and, and we won't go into how much uh, just attacks of, you know, the enemy, uh, quite frankly, to get this story out um, to, to the masses. But I had a dream uh, and it was a young woman's face. And so I'm casting and, you know, I'm looking for the right people and the lead. You know, I knew she would have such an important role and it needed to be compelling. And so I had you know, put out a, a quick casting call for it. It didn't require a lot of, you know, actors, but I wanted to go ahead and kind of look through that and also the database that we already had. And much to my surprise, a young lady reached out to me and I said, you know, this sounds awesome and, and you're in the area and yes, can you please, you know, go ahead and, and fill out the information, send a couple of headshots to us. And, of course, you can imagine my surprise when it was uh, the image of the girl I had seen in my dream. Wow. So so pretty wild on that. Uh, we came together with a local hospital that uh, gave us clearance to film there, and everyone came on board. However, the day of the first day of the shoot, we found out that the lead actress's mother had also worked at a Planned Parenthood at one time in her life and verified everything that this story had had said she she reaffirmed about the heartbeat being turned down she reaffirmed all of the things that they would do uh, to facilitate having the abortion and not letting women hear the heartbeat of their child yeah and i think that's so important that regardless of what and this would just be my piece of advice to anyone making a film, writing a book, whatever, no matter how passionate you are about any subject, if you drift away from the truth, even if you just fudge a little bit, you will get caught eventually. And when you're caught, it really does so much destruction to your, uh, to the veracity of what you're trying to achieve and, and what you're trying to say. And so that's where I appreciate just how vigilant you were in trying to make sure that everything that was in this film 
was as accurate as you could make it. Now, I mean, of course, with any film, there's going to have to be creative license because of just uh, timelines and things like that. But as far as like authenticity, making the message as true as possible, uh, I felt like it was as as good as you could make it. Because, Mark, I remember a few times we would be working on a storyboard and uh, I can't remember exactly, but you said, hold on, I know you drew it that way because I didn't, I wasn't sure what to tell you, but I'm not sure that's exactly how that works or, or something along those lines, like from a technical medical aspect. Maybe it was one of the machines I drew or something. And I was just so impressed that you said, you know what, I want to make sure this is as authentic as we can get it. And so let me check into a couple of things. So even in the details down to when I'm storyboarding, you were really trying to make sure things were as authentic as possible because we're dealing with a subject that's incredibly divisive and uh, people can get hyperbolic and they can get overwrought and it just doesn't do you any good to not be truthful. It's just better not to say anything or to re, re, redo what you're doing than to allow yourself to go into a, a direction where you're just even fudging the truth. Right. I think it was so important, like like you were saying, you know, with Mark going back and doing the research or, or talking to people in the medical field, um, you know, like like uh, his wife, Jennifer, and saying, hey, uh, is this where this needs to be? We want to make sure that we take away any of that, you know, fodder that someone who might disagree with that uh, would try to throw and say, well, no, that's not how it really happened or or they wouldn't have put that right there. So, yes, it was very important that we do that. And when we had reached out to you, Bill, to do the storyboard, not only was it so important for us, as the crew, but it was very helpful to the cast. And I think a lot of times people don't truly understand how important and uh, vital storyboarding is. It it really kind of puts us in the right perspective of where everything needs to be. But as far as the cast, when we would send the storyboard to um, Ariel Butler, who, who played Talia, the lead actress, she began to truly visualize her character and what her character went through and where she needed to be emotional. It it became very real to her by seeing that storyboard. So it was wonderful that you were able to do that. Well, thank you. I was actually hoping I could put a little shameless plug in there where uh, we talked about storyboarding. If, um, well, honestly, I, I like to educate people who might be listening there might be someone who's going do I really need a storyboard artist or someone who's going I've thought about doing it but of what value is it and having someone other than just the storyboard artist say just how important it is to have things in a concrete manner um, because I know I've actually worked with directors that uh they would have a vision of how things were supposed to be set up. The cameraman would have another. The gaffer would have another. The actors would be a fourth. And all of a sudden, they'd see a storyboard, and and everybody would step back and say, oh, I thought it was supposed to be over here or over there. And it really helped everyone to solidify their vision of what what it was supposed to look like. And also... It's easy to have stuff in your mind and think, oh, I want to shoot it from this angle and actually have two different angles in your head at the exact same time Mm -hmm. and not realize that until it starts getting drawn out and you realize, oh, my gosh, I'm thinking about two different thoughts from two different perspectives at the same time. Um, And then I, I think for the actors, I actually... I try to focus my storyboards as much in the emotion of the character as I do just as a mannequin in a place. And Mark was real instrumental, especially in this, where he would tell me, 
you know, this is what should be in the heart and mind of the character when something's going on. And so I would really try to put some of that pathos in there so that I'm glad to hear that the actress could look and go, that's the way I'm supposed to be thinking. That's what's supposed to be in my head. Um, it, it just hopefully add a little bit of concreteness to it other than just words from a director. Absolutely. I think it made a lot of difference in her performance, to say the least, because it at that point she understood and could then work on conveying that for the screen. I think it was very, very instrumental. And yes, I remember that night of uh, Mark and you and I kind of bouncing off those things. And when I would get those storyboards, I just, uh, quite frankly, Bill, I just kept saying, wow, man, this is, this is awesome. We, you know, we've won um, a couple of awards so far because it has gone to, you know, certain film festivals, a lot of official selections right now um, with, you know, wins pending, uh, possibly. But in one of the festivals that we took life to, we actually sat afterwards with one of the directors who had was directed like over 50 films and were showing him because he was just so uh, impressed with Life is My Choice. And we sat and showed him some of your storyboard. And all he could say is, wow, I am just really impressed with this. You know, we don't talk enough about the fact of needing storyboards in this way and how just important it really is. And just as an aside, uh, I was going to say, when I first got the script from you, Mark, I was, I, we hadn't really talked about it. And I started reading it, and well, as you know, or, or may not know, but in our industry, being pro-life is, you're in a minority. And yeah. I was reading this, and I was going, oh, man, I'm not going to do this for you, and because I thought it was a pro-choice thing. And I was looking and going, wait a minute, am I misreading this? This actually sounds pro-life. And what was so neat was that the message it's, I mean, it's it's subtle in the sense that it's just not hitting you in the face, but I mean, it's still absolutely pro-life. But the the uh, another thing I liked about it was that as I was reading it, it wasn't just knocking me over, um, almost like a, a piece of propaganda. Um, it was it was just a good story that was um, very moving. And uh, I appreciated that so much uh, from a ri- the writing aspect. But uh, like I said, the first time when you when you sent me the script, I was looking at it. And I was going, "Wait a minute! I'm not doing a pro <laughs> pro choice thing. That that yeah. I don't play that." And then all of a sudden, it's like, "Oh my gosh! I think this is pro life." And I actually called Emil, and he said, "Oh no, Dad, he's pro life." <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, well, and we and we purposely chose. Life is my choice because Planned Parenthood has often made a woman think that they don't have a choice if they choose life. You always have a choice. You know, and and, and, and just kind of talking about it, quite frankly, we probably shouldn't have a choice in that matter. But the fact that, you know, we have a choice with capital punishment, we have a choice with certain things, and people can, uh, you know, talk about that. Women always have a choice, and they can always choose life. And that was one of the reasons to name it that, was to even talk about the fact that they manipulate women to thinking they don't have a choice when they always have one. Right. Now, you said Uh that this has been in a number, or at least one, uh, film festival? Yes, um, Mark, we've got uh, the West Virginia Family Film Festival where we won for the short film. We won uh, Best Director. We have had official selections at the Cannes Indie Film Festival. We're currently at the Toronto Women's Film Festival. So, you know, it's 
right now it's going through the film festival circuit, right? Uh, when we talk to, you know, your audience about where it is right now. And so it's been submitted to certain film festivals and we're hearing back good responses from those right now. And, and for the others, we're just waiting to see. So is the film, we all, is the film yes. festival circuit picking back up with the pandemic and doing well, or um, do you even know? As far as what we're seeing, yes, um, we're we're seeing people um, happy to uh, get out of the online film festivals. You know, there's still a few that are still doing that, but for the most part, people are attending live to a lot of these film festivals, and I'm so grateful for that. You know, there's so many wonderful artists out there with uh, their projects, and I, I'm happy that we're a part of it but also it is so good to go there meet people in the same industry talk to them about what they have going on sometimes it facilitates uh, further connections with other projects and then we've got uh, some leading up in February that we've now because of those connections partnered with another film company to do uh, some more film work as well so it's a win-win in in that regard that is awesome. Um, so what's going on in the, what's what's planned for 2022? Isn't that next year, 2022? Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. am- amazing that it's, uh, it's about a month or so away, you know? Yes, so. yes. So what's in the, what's in the planning for Life is My Choice and Ardent Flame for 2022? What's going to go, what's going, going on? Mark, you want to take a couple of these, and then uh, I'll, I'll do the same. We've we've got a lot, Bill. So, um, actually, this is your area of expertise. So, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll I'll say that there has been, as it relates to to life is my choice, there has been interest in expanding that beyond a, a you know a seven eight minute short um, to doing right. something more long form. Um, we have. We have another short film that we're in the process of, of scripting. Uh, there's a, a uh, script currently being worked on for uh, Carrie's first book, uh, Save Them All, which uh, her foundation, her nonprofit uh, foundation is, is named or titled after. And then we have some uh, opportunities to uh, have some uh, activity with um, a couple of companies uh, JC Films, for instance, uh, out of uh, West Virginia, doing some work uh, down in, in Lafayette, putting on uh, some, I guess, training. Mm-hmm. Acting training. workshops, and they're very interested in seeing uh, the expansion of, of Life is My Choice, so going to yeah. talk to us about those kind of things. And then, I mean, the, the last thing is still, there, there's, there's a lot of pre-production on another uh, potential feature. Um, with a with a company out of Las Vegas, uh, Nevada, and we'll we'll see how that goes. I mean, I, obviously, I can't talk too intently about it because it's, sure. it's still in negotiations. But um, the, the hope is that that will happen um, in 2022 as well. So, it, 2022 for the film side does seem to be shaping up pretty good, and uh, you know, we're just we're excited about where uh, those projects are gonna are gonna go. You know, I think. Every every storyteller, well, actually every creative and every filmmaker at, at, at the core, regardless of what your medium is, is storytelling. And so, um, as a storyteller, you're always excited to get an opportunity to tell those those stories. And so, um, right. And and even though we have um, you know larger projects slated for 2022, our we, very first feature. Yeah. Correct. We still truly enjoy uh, putting out short films letting those go through the film festival. We, we do have fun with those. We really do. Um, it's, it's great feedback. Uh, it, it garners interest and exposure for art and flames. So we definitely like those. And we're always open to helping, you know, other people with their visions. You know, maybe there's an author that, that really wants that book trailer. You know, we, we're always open to those things as well. Right. Um, just a little soapbox moment uh, when, Mark, when you said that uh, at its core, you know, 
movie making and uh, just art in general is at its core uh, telling a story. Um, I just wanted to uh, put my two cents in with that. Whenever I'm teaching uh, painting and drawing, I'm always telling my students that at the core, art is about communication. It's about telling a story. It is not, first and foremost, you expressing yourself. Because self-expression, you know, a two-year-old kicking and screaming on the floor of a Walmart because they want a toy, that's self-expression. I don't think I'd call it art. Um, And all too often when, when... artists get caught up in just self-expression, they forget that it has to communicate something to the audience. And if they don't get it, it's like going to a foreign film. If you go to a foreign film and there's no subtitles, then you're just watching a bunch of random pictures that you can't Mm -hmm. necessarily follow unless it's a silent film. So, uh, I appreciate that so much, and that's where I was saying that life is my choice. When I started reading the script, it was just such a good story because it it has a message, but it wasn't, um, uh, I can't think of the word, like polemical or something. It wasn't just all about trying to uh, propagandize yeah, it's, a message. It was yeah, first it and was, foremost a good story. It was apolitical, um, and you know I think we, I think we, um, we polarize uh, individuals um, in society based on on a series of choices. Uh, you know, Carrie said that uh, one of the things that that uh, that she alluded to in in the fact that the phraseology pro-choice. Um, Interestingly enough, the, the the pundits of of that phraseology infer indirectly or directly that the only choice is to let someone in somebody else's life so that you can go do what you want to do. Um, and pro-choice, um, you know, like Carrie said, everyone does have a choice. You have a choice to to commit murder. You know, there's repercussions for that choice in any other circumstance. Um, and I think that as we normalize, as we normalize uh, abortion, you, you'll have people that, that don't see it as murder. And, and we see that now with, with the pro-choice movement. Um, but it is a life and, and life is worth protecting. And so the, the reasonable choice should be to protect that life. It should not be um, to, to destroy that life. Right, and, and I think I think the using the term "life is my choice" was was almost a an, an attempt to bring attention to the fact that when someone says they're pro-choice, they're not really saying uh, the choice is to save a life. They're really saying the choice is to kill a life. Right. So, so the reciprocal is very true. And so when they when they say if you're pro-life, you're not pro-choice. We are pro a very specific choice because of our belief system that we believe life is precious and is worth saving. That's our choice. And, and so um, I, I think that, that that message is often lost. And, and so that's a little bit about the, the polarization that this topic has in general. So trying to remain apolitical and not uh, force feed uh, a doctrine uh, was was very important to selecting how we represent the scenes, so that you 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 are allowed to experience what an individual experienced vicariously, and you can see the rationale for their decisions, um, and their decision and their choice was to save a life. Right, I think it was very important that uh, we take away kind of the the thought. That, um, you know, anyone who is standing out there um, praying that that young woman will choose life is is somehow this this horrible person that's been on, you know, this outrageous judgment of them or anything else like that. And that is so far from the truth, the way that uh, the pro-choice, if you will, um, likes to proclaim it, you know, and um, 
you know, yes, there's extremists on either side, right? But for the most part, the people that are out there hoping that these young women will make a better decision or being there to encourage them not to have that happen again, that they can still be loved by God, they can still be forgiven by Him. I think it was very important that we be extremely delicate while still being very truthful. Yeah, that was the other thing, is that uh, this, uh, the whole whole movie, uh, the whole short was very tastefully done. It was not uh, built around... Uh, being outrageous, being over the top, because um, we're all we're dealing with a very, very sensitive subject anyway. There's no need to necessarily go over the top. You don't have to shout to get your message out. Very often, a whisper can have far greater an effect than uh, a guttural shout. Absolutely. It was the young boy that told the emperor he had no clothes on, right? Um, The truth will speak for itself, and it will be loud enough. Right. And Um, I I think we have, have, you know, in in discussing some of the expansion of Life is My Choice from a short to long-form narrative, um, it's not, you know, I don't want to undermine the, the call to action as simply you know, uh, stay away from abortion and save a life. But there's there's a lot more to that call to action. You know, there's a support structure that needs to be in place, and there's a lot of opportunities for other individuals to get involved. So the story originally as written uh, included a secondary story that never really quite made it into the short, which was about a, a separate couple that was there protesting. Um, you know, we, we thought that that was something that we could still tell the main narrative in the shortest amount of time without having to go into detail. But, you know, uh, when we talked about some of the 2022 opportunities and the things that we're looking towards doing with, uh, with expanding upon this particular short film, um, I think that there's, you know, there's a, there's a communal responsibility as well. If, if we believe what we say, we believe and how are we going to step up individually and participate in saving that life? You know, how are we going to, uh, from a social perspective, how are we going to stand up and give a support structure to that woman so she can make that decision um, easier and, and and feel like, you know, that, that people care enough about her choice and, and are willing to stand in the gap for her. So I think there's some opportunities with talking about the call to action. Yes, we'll make a decision to not into life, but there's other support individuals that can come in and ultimately influence that individual uh not just you know telling you you don't need to kill your baby which and you know i know that's kind of blunt to say but that's what it is we'll just call a spade a spade but uh but actually loving them and and supporting them and uh and so those are some opportunities to to really illustrate how that could be like what what would what would a support structure look like um what are some things that people can do and, you know, if, if this short film were to be expanded, um, you know, when we talk about a happy ending, uh, you know, how, how do we make, how do we turn a, a negative into a positive and then, and get more individuals involved in the call to action rather than just the woman making the decision not to have uh, an abortion, but, you know, the community at large supporting that individual and giving them the, the, uh, the infrastructure to help. Uh, raise that child right and and of course the importance of showing the corruption and the manipulation done by Planned Parenthood uh, that we know for a fact and then of course um, you know being reaffirmed by you know the lead's mother that we had no idea uh, would have had any you know interaction or ever worked for Planned Parenthood we've also talked about uh, maybe expanding to telling from a guy's standpoint, because I think that uh, is a story that has been lost. You know, we talk about the, the woman and, and so forth, and that's all very important. But I don't think anybody has really truly stepped up to the plate to talk about the father and his right for his child as well. So, that's that's yeah. fantastic. 
Yeah. So I, I definitely think of, there's a lot more opportunity this upcoming year. I mean, we're excited. You know, we're we're delighted at what God is doing. We're open to his uh, direction and we're going to be obedient in whatever that is. Before we go, is there anything else that you guys would like to share with the uh, listeners? Um, you know, I, I, I'll speak strictly from from my experience as as a novice trying to trying to tell the stories that 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 are that are on my heart, um, and, and I think Carrie can can say something very similar. Um, if you're truly passionate about uh, what you want to do, uh, don't don't accept uh, mediocrity. That's the first one. I think a lot of uh, filmmakers they they they're not self-critical, and um, if, whether you're writing a script and you you uh, you think it's good enough, really really I guess challenge yourself to say how can it be better if you're behind camera or even if that camera is your iphone like what we did when we started like how can it be better um how can you continually improve and and try and set your rubric very very high you know if if someone is excellent at what they do and they're renowned for it we we put them on a website we call it a master class well you know those are your targets you know the best of the best and and to be challenging so one of the things that i think has made us I guess may, one of the things that's made us successful at what we've done is that we strive to not be mediocre. We strive for excellence in all we do. And, and part of that kind of comes back to that ardent flame, that, that passion, because we're very passionate about it. Um, I'm, I'm very passionate about the projects I do. I'm very passionate about doing what I do with excellence, even if it's someone else's project. It's still uh, something that I take very serious and and. You know, from a scripture, scriptural perspective, it says, "Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do with all thy might as unto the Lord." And so, uh, I don't, I don't like to accept mediocrity. Carrie can tell you that if I think something looks cheesy, I think we use the term cheesy all the time. Um, I really don't like it, and um, and I will work feverishly to make sure that it's not. And you know, when when I see a lot of other independent filmmakers that have really great ideas and the thing that they're passionate about is very worthwhile, but sometimes the execution uh, tends to mask uh, the passion that they have. Um, yeah, I feel bad that that uh, some of those some of those filmmakers won't have an opportunity. There's some of the best stories will never get made, unfortunately. And uh, and I know starting out, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that that I did was. I gave all the, the the reasonable due diligence to do everything I did with excellence, and then I set myself um, to to try and measure up to the best of the best. It wasn't I'm 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 better than the guy next door to me. I'm, I need to be better than whoever's very successful in 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 the uh, the vein I'm trying to emulate or the project I'm trying to do. If I'm doing a, a short film, what are great short films? What are they doing? How how can I do it as good or better? Um, so I, I think having a level of criticality was just being honest with yourself about are you doing it to the best of your ability and can it be better? I think that that will take you farther than than sometimes even college courses. Right. Absolutely. I, I like how one... Uh, screenwriter once told me never cheat the audience and we look at it as such a responsibility that we have in storytelling because we're giving people a journey of both mind and heart and it matters to us that not only is it excellence before God but it's excellence to others we don't ever get into any project and go I just want to be good enough so as we continue to grow, as we continue to expand, as we continue to, you know, experience, we're open and honest and, and critical, you know, of ourselves and objective of ourselves as we should be so that we are doing the very best at that time. And as we grow, we will give that 
that extra next level, right? We're continuing to do that in everything, no matter how big or small that project is. Well, so that- I would just encourage other, you know, people um, that are listening or are interested in this, you know, always give your best, be, be critical, uh, be open, uh, be humble and be determined. You know, if you, if you hear no, or I don't think so, or, or whatever, go back and rewrite that script, make the changes you need to, so that you hear that yes, instead of that no. Awesome. Guys, this was fantastic. I have so enjoyed talking to you. I, um, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed working on Life is My Choice, and, and I've just enjoyed doing the other storyboards for you. I've, I've just had a delightful time working with you since we met. So uh, I think we'll, we'll call that a wrap. If you enjoyed this episode of The Arthropologist, there are more episodes on YouTube. To see my work, you can visit my website, BillWilsonStudio.com, where I have my books, prints, and originals for sale. I am a portrait painter and illustrator, and there you can contact me about commissioned work. I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm the anthropologist.